Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Okay, we got a brand new one, a special one right here. Very timely in that it falls within this holiday season. It's a very complicated holiday season, as everybody around the world knows, after what has been a year unlike any other. We find ourselves on the eve of another holiday season that traditionally is spent with family and friends, diving into what worked, what didn't, laughing, probably crying. It's a complicated and emotional time, the holiday season, at the end of a good year. So what does it feel like at the end of 2020? Very little in the way of consistency, very little in the way of predictability, and the things we've come to look forward to as a year comes to a close. One thing you can absolutely bank on, though, is the Queen of Christmas. That's not my term. I think it might be official now. The Mariah Carey is going to show up, and she's going to do what she can to make it special because, and this is the important thing, it's authentic. It's special to her. And if you dig a little deeper by reading her incredible autobiography, you'll realize why. As a young child, Christmas represented so much that she didn't have at any other time of the year. And I'm not going to go any further into it than that because the book, Start to Finish, deserves your attention and should be read. It's a New York Times bestseller and the critics agree. It's been one of Mariah Carey's most successful creative ventures. And it definitely changed the way that I approached what was probably on paper going to be a fairly light, holiday-driven conversation with someone who is now synonymous with it. But it just it is just deeper for Mariah Carey, the whole experience and what she wants to achieve, both for herself, her family, and for her fans. And so that really is at the core of this conversation right here, timely, as I said. But if any of that resonated with you, if this holiday season is coming in unique, different, happy, sad. If there's things and people that are just simply missing in your life, then uh, you're not alone. Mariah Carey feels it and so do I. Enjoy this conversation, the latest in the interview series right here on Apple Podcasts. Ready so I can start? Yeah. Because this is forever. It's forever. Let's do it. So good to see you. So good to see you, Zane. (sighs) Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I wasn't sure I was going to be able to say that and feel that way this year because it's just been such a year. Yeah, it's been intense. And when we first talked about doing this special, it was last year prior to COVID, and it was February. And we were all so excited and like, oh, we're going to make it huge and great and everything. And then the world... Everything happened. Yeah. Everything happened. So luckily, Apple has been the most incredible partner ever. And, you know, we've just been able to really get creative. You know, luckily, this was already slated prior to everything, and everybody just kind of jumped in and said, we're not letting them ruin Christmas. Yeah. They will not be foiled. Well, thank goodness, because <laughs> if you didn't show up for any Christmas, Christmas, I feel like Christmas just ain't happening. I feel like you and the, you and the lambs basically start Christmas now, <laughs> right? November 1st, it's like, it's time. It's like, cool, trees go up, songs go on the radio, everything starts. Well, you know, I'm actually the one that would be like, last year was like, not yet. I'd be somewhere in the dentist's office, and they'd be, can we play Christmas music? So I'd film these little moments, and everybody was like, why not yet? But I just hate the, and I'm going to probably be to blame for some of this, but the early, early Christmas stuff, I prefer, and not everybody in the world, you know, only Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. So I like to kind of get through Thanksgiving. That's why in my post I was like, it's time, but let's get through Thanksgiving first. I wish I really liked because whenever (laughs) I get to Thanksgiving, my impression is like the year is over and my boss is like, no, it's the end of November. You still have weeks to go. I'm like, oh no, I'm out. I love this American tradition. Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays, we're out. Exactly. That's it. You know, now since people start playing 
all I want for Christmas is you so early on. I was like, well, we have to embrace it, particularly this year. What was the sort of purpose for you to do a special? What inspired you and made you want to do it in the first place? Because you don't have to. The songs do the job. You show up for Christmas, you give us great joy. Why go the extra mile this year? I've always wanted to do a special, like basically live from the North Pole, yeah. which is what we're going to feel yeah. with this special. I hope. It's what I felt while filming it. And um, done and dusted, the producers that I worked with and collaborated with um, really got that vision. And, you know, I just always want to do something special for Christmas. And I usually do live shows. And last year, when All I Want for Christmas is You, right before it went to number one on mm. the Hot 100, Billboard yeah. Hot 100. Um, 25 years after it was originally released. Yes, two it's years after it was originally released. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was an amazing moment. And... I remember being there, and I talk about it in my memoir, mm. where it was like everybody was there celebrating, singing back to me, all different races of people. You know, you could see just all different ages and different people just celebrating and really feeling the holiday spirit. And I love doing that, doing my concerts all around the world. But obviously this year we can't, and we're not encouraging gatherings and definitely not doing that. But I feel like people can gather around the TV with their with their friends and family or just not gather around, but people can watch yeah. it simultaneously, yeah. kind of hang out, you know, do whatever they're going to do, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever. Just enjoy the moments together because it's really designed to make people feel good this year. Yeah. No, and we, forever, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. forever. It's forever. No, and we needed it. I mean, I think it's going to be an emotional holiday for a lot of people mm -hmm. for lots of reasons. There's mm -hmm. been so many micro struggles within this macro pandemic and what it's done to the world and how it's raised a lot of things to the surface. And I think now is the time for family, but it's also going to be a time for a lot of people who will be on their own and dealing with things. And I yeah. think this is a time for a special like this. And I think about the guests you brought along and who's taken part in it. Mm -hmm. Tiffany Haddish, mm -hmm. some old friends, Snoop Dogg is involved. Yes. Jermaine is back, which we is great. always love. Some new friends as well. You've got Azuna in there, Anita's in there, some people that, you know. Um, it's an amazing group of, of guests. How did you choose the people to be involved? Well, you know, it's interesting. Even today, you know, I got a call from a fellow musician who I love. I'm sure you love. I'm not going to say their name. But, That's you know, terrible. You can't set me up like that, but carry on. I can't do it, but I but I, I would have. Like, I wish he would have called yeah. a couple months ago so he could have been a part of it too. But, you know, people, I'm like, haven't heard from you t since last Christmas. And I start to feel like, am I really kind of like Santa Claus? <laughs> am I? It's so funny because like, well, I know. It just like it reminds me of you when Christmas time comes around. So a lot of people that wanted to participate really just were like, you know, this is a great moment and let's do it together. You know, there may have been some collaborations that I've always wanted to have happen and then it ended up happening this year and I think it's going to be great. That's why when we say it's forever, mm. this is a forever moment mm. for me. Your chemistry with Billy, with Billy Eichner is amazing on the, you know, on the show. Yeah. Um, did you have fun making the special with him? Billy Eichner was the most fun moment, I have to say, that I had. Not to play favorites, but I just mean a lot of our scenes actually didn't end up in there. I'm hoping right. maybe we have some outtakes. And I just love him. We did an episode of Billy on the Street together yeah. last year. One of my favorite things I've ever done. His personality is so just raucous and kind of like out there, but he's also subtle and his humor is... He's like controlled improv almost. But I live for that. Yeah. Because, you know, when I'm on stage, my thing is not, I'm not a dancer, I'm not a this, I don't do all the choreography, but I talk to the audience yeah. and relate to the audience as if they're having a one-on-one -on -one experience with me. And I feel like his ability to sort of be in the moment, improvising, saying whatever, like I love to play off of somebody like that. And he's a rare 
bird in that way. It's a rare quality that he has. And I really, really, really enjoy him. And um, I was so happy he was able to do it. And the character was kind of patterned, the character of Billy the Elf. Yeah. You know, obviously. It was great that Billy Eichner was able to do it. So we have a, a date set to kind of sit back and listen to my alt album that he's been hearing about. I don't know if you you Oh, I know all about this album. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding? I'm expecting, where's my copy? I can't I wait to hear this I don't even have record. a copy, but you know, I did the artwork myself. It's been so long and I never talked about it with anybody. I actually just found the version with my vocals, but I need to find the board mixes from back How then. How did you even sit on this for as long as you did when the, the level of restraint? This is the thing that keeps cropping up in this book from the most emotional areas right through to just the most empowering, free, creative spaces, yet you owned these yourself and showed so much restraint. You never let anyone know. I didn't. Only my like closest friends and the people that I actually right. made the album with knew about it. One of the people that was so cool to me before I ever had a deal or ever had any of that stuff, Clarissa, came in and, because I got kind of in trouble for making this album, the alternative album. Right. Because back then, everything was super controlled yeah, by yeah, the powers yeah. It's that working. Be. Don't do this. Don't rattle the cage. It's working. It's right, working. Right. And I never really was like, oh, we're going to release it. But then I was like, I should release it. I should do it under an alias and then let people discover it and whatever. Yeah. But that got squashed. And what's part of the reason why you did it in the first place? Because I'm fascinated by this project. Because you were consciously and maybe even subconsciously rebelling against that whole controlled environment. Like, yeah. you know what? Even if this doesn't come out, I need to feel like I can do it. That's what it was. First of all, it was fun. Yeah. Second of all, in terms of writing, it was the complete antithesis of what my, like, Once We Day and yeah. Fantasy. All the, I love these songs, all those songs, and then the, the deeper cuts and stuff. But that was literally, I would sit down and just write anything yeah. that came to my mind. Yeah. Five minutes, say to the guitar player, can you play, like, you know, can you play this? Yeah. And they would play that. And then, you know, we would just do it. And I, would, I was in character. <laughs> yeah. And then we did it. And then I was saying to woman, Clarissa, who was a dear friend and really helped me out when I was first starting out, I said, can you come in once they, once they were like, you can't do this, the label and whatever. Once the label, like, tried to control me, as they tend to do, or always did with me, then I was like, come in and just sing on top of what I did and we you know collaborated with it but I was so married to what I had done even yeah. though it was like a fun escape and it was all like jokes but then again at the end of the day once I lived with it and listened to it I was like this is freeing and empowering and I'm living for the moment. Did you ever listen to it again? Did yeah ever... I, I listened back then I would listen to it driving around. Oh my god because it must have felt like you were a fan yeah. of something completely separate to yourself. It was because it was like a lot of It's anger, but with humor, yeah. and it was a self-expression, but it was for laughs. Like, yeah. I didn't do it like, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm super <laughs> serious about this. <laughs> no, it was, but that's what was the freeing thing. Imagine everything is so picked apart and yeah. meticulous and whatever. And then I was doing this thing that was just like, whatever it is, is what it's going to sound like. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if anyone hears it, it's cool. But then yet again, I was stifled and told, like, don't do it. So I put my friend Clarissa on top of it. We released a couple things, but it was never given a push. So I just kind of kept it to myself. I had done the album art. I did the whole thing. I've never even talked about this. This is before. amazing. I just love this <laughs> idea of you because in, in some respects, you become Mariah Carey. Live within your art, express yourself, become a performer. It becomes a character within itself. Mm -hmm. You sometimes forget who you are originally when you become successful within your artistic space. Right. And that's where it becomes blurry, and that can be a difficult time. You have to extricate yourself from that, regain your narrative, right? Yes. As you've done over time. Mm -hmm. This other thing, that's just fun. It was just fun, and honestly, it was so necessary. Like, I think I sort of survived 
through that. And like, I literally made a whole album and just kept it to myself. Are we ever going to hear it? I hope so, yeah. You gotta put it out. I mean, I gotta figure it out because now that I have the tracks of what I did, because it's back in the day, like you gotta transfer everything. And there were board mixes with my stuff. Also, I was told to change some of the lyrics. So, um, I know. You just kept the hands off it. It could have been a whole other thing. But I still have the originals. Thank God. I know, but I don't even know. I did it all under a pseudonym. So, I don't even know, like, wow. the publishing and all that. Like, <laughs> There's a playlist attached to this conversation, so it's a beautiful, you know, musical thread that's going to go through this. And we're going to start with Osanta, which is okay. a, your original, but rearranged. Uh-huh. And a different arrangement that includes the wonderful Ariana Grande mm-hmm. and Jennifer Hudson. Yes. It's been really fun to, to, to revisit a song, which is already a staple within your Christmas canon, yeah. and bring others into it and think about it differently vocally and who's going to sing what. Yes. Well, originally, O Santa, um, a song I collaborated on with Jermaine Dupri and Brian Michael Cox, like two of my favorite people to write with. And I went to Jermaine and I was like, you know, I want to do a fun, up-tempo Christmas song. Hmm. I wanted to be like, like that's a beat. Yeah. And so that's how we work, you know? And so we took it from there. I sort of did a layered vocal arrangement, which is why I thought when we had the whole chance with Ari and with Jennifer Hudson, and I was like, let's do like a girls group, like a Supremes kind of vibe, because that's what I was thinking when I did it originally, because it's like a classic type sounding record. And I feel like you've done that throughout your whole career within the Christmas space, that I feel that that's an opportunity for you to go out there and recreate some of those girl group environments, but using yourself as the entire picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's like an All I Want for Christmas Is You vibe. Yeah. That was the original Los Santa. When the opportunity presented itself to work with Ariana and with Jennifer Hudson, and I had to think as a producer, because mm. vocal producing is really one of my favorite things. And I think one of the things that I'm best at, particularly with layering and background vocals and stuff like that, and just like how we're gonna do it and like what's the layering. And it was difficult because that song was You knew not, it. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's in its original form and now you're like, I have to reverse engineer this yeah. and give it new life, but it already means something to you. Yes, and and you know what? It was, it was the one song that I was like, you know, we can have fun with it. Cause it was never like super serious or whatever. It's fun, it's yeah. festive. To me, those are the best type of Christmas songs when you don't have to think so much about it, even though I have songs like that, but it's when you can be free. And so I feel like the featured moments here were really fun because, you know, you hear J-Hud, you know it's her. You hear Ariana, you're like, oh, wow, that sounds so a great, you know, new interpretation of that moment. And then I'm there as the, you know, the one that wrote the song and put the whole thing together. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun. There's the chant. There's a whole thing. I think, you know, kids are going to like it who maybe never got a chance to hear it before. So, you know, I'm excited. Oh, man, the second Christmas album that you made, I was I was just so stunned to, to learn all about the creation of it and, and what you were going through physically and the changes in your life that were happening at that time. And mm-hmm. yes, we got Osanta, and at the time I was like, yay, new Mariah Carey album. I had no idea behind the scenes. It was just like well, the most transformative time of your life, probably. Yes, well, one of them, yes. But, I mean, certainly a major thing. I was pregnant, and I have to say that Merry Christmas to You, uh, my second Christmas album, is definitely one of my favorites, like production-wise. And the late Big Jim Wright was there working with me, who I wrote Fly Like a Bird with, yeah. which is a you know Grammy-winning song, and uh, a lot of stuff from the Mimi, the Emancipation Mimi album, um, which is one of my favorites. It's sad that he's not here, but his musical contribution yeah. was just incredible. So we really had a great time working on that. Randy Jackson was also part of it, um, one of my you know beloved 
friends, dear friends. You know, so we just got deeply into it and reacquainted with a lot of those Christmas songs and reinterpret them like, I mean, it's so hard because I have so many Christmas albums, but like A Little Town of Bethlehem, uh, The First Noel, just doing these sort of re- interpretations of these classic Christmas songs. And I even did a duet with my mother, which is this whole thing. But I think it's great that I have that, you know, for the rest of my life. Well, you know, you wrote a book. Yes. And this book, Mm -hmm. not only is it one of the most compelling and revealing and at times emotional memoirs I've ever read. Thank you. It's also been enormously successful. Congratulations. New York Times bestseller number one. Number one one bestseller. Number one. I know. Number one. And number one with a book that is that good. It's incredible. And I had a chance to listen to it because I'm terrible at reading. But I had a chance to listen to it, which I love the audiobook experience. Thank you. And what really struck me is that when I was going through the book is that Christmas has meant so much more to you, I feel, than just a season or an idea or a chance to spend time with family or to switch off at the end of the year. It's almost been this kind of narrative that's been going through your whole life. Mm -hmm. Like that is your idea of what? unconditional love and safety and security really is. Right. And it kind of drew you into that space as a child and the search for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why you gave back to it and built your own world around it. Is that on the money? That is on the money. Christmas was often foiled for me when I was a little kid. Yeah. And I talk about it in the book. You know, different family members who are no longer family members to me, but always ruining the holidays. I waited the whole year to have this joyous experience that never really happened, but I still kept the spirit within me. And I think that's like a lot of people get depressed at the holidays. And I know that's a thing, but I've always pushed through that because I just won't allow myself to go there. Why? Because you know what? It's too deep-rooted, the sadness that I would possibly feel because of stuff that happened in my childhood. Mm -hmm. And as I was starting out and stuff. But Christmas has been a constant for me. And at this point, I mean, in life, it's a whole production. (laughs) It's literally a production from the time I get off the plane to my destination with the kids, even before the kids. This was huge. I have to make it seamless. It's all the the bells and whistles, but it's the calming down, because usually I'm working all the way up. It almost feels to me in the book like you were so focused and dedicated to your craft that if I can just get to one more Christmas, mm-hmm. one more end of year holiday, mm-hmm. I'll be able to reset and I'll be able to construct it the way I want to construct it and it can't be taken away from me. Right. That's really what it is. That's why I said in the beginning of the book, look, I live from season to season, holiday to holiday, you know, whatever it is, that's the whole like not acknowledging time. It's really because I'm always hopeful. I'm always looking forward to something. And I do want to make other people happy and make the environment fun and festive for everybody because why not if you have the ability to do that? But if someone comes in my lair and they're a Scrooge. You're out. Forever. Done. Over. It's forever. It's forever. Yes. (laughs) You know, when you're so young and you're put through these situations that you have no control over Mm -hmm. and you're faced with these environments that you didn't ask for, Uh it creates such a deeply rooted anxiety that I think that when you talk about time, time is the ultimate thing that controls us. Mm -hmm. It starts ticking when we're born and it stops ticking when we die. For some of us, I, I, I rebuke that. 
rebuke away. <laughs> you just got to rebuke it. Go for it. I've rebuked it. Okay, it's rebuked. It, it ate through the bottle. It's gone. Okay, good. So, But my point is beyond the rebuking mm-hmm. is that there's an element of control in the way that we try to use time as people. Right. And I think that thinking back and looking at the book now, I think that that's kind of what really comes out for me is that your attitude towards time is like, no, mm-hmm. I will not be controlled by mm-hmm. anything again. Right. Well, when you've been controlled so much, it's like the first part of my life, like, there was no control. Everything was out of control. And there were no real rules, and there were no real, like, kind of kids really don't want to follow the rules, but they actually need to. Yeah. Yeah, And so I didn't have that structure. Then I had such strict rules. Then I had, like, you know, I really wasn't around anybody, you know, that was young and up and coming and making music in the way that I was doing. And so it became like this very restricted sort of life. You're a prisoner of your talent. And of personal relationships and stuff. If it were just like the talent thing, I would understand and mm-hmm. I'd be able to acclimate to that. Because I have. Mm-hmm. But actually, like I told you today, I was in the studio working on something all day and then came here and stuff like that. But I love that. That's like church to me. That's like the creative environment in which I thrive. Mm. But the other stuff is great and it's fun and it's fabulous and it's glamorous. But creating and working and producing in the studio is everything. I, yeah, I wonder like, you know, whether or not you would ever, if you could, I know you love to perform live and you spoke openly about some of your favorite tours you've ever done, but I wonder whether or not there's a party that just is like, I just want to stay in the studio forever, like the creative process. I would be happy being in the studio forever or just at least spending a few months out of the year, like certain albums I've done, whether mm. it's the Rainbow album mm. or Emancipation of Mimi, a lot of them. I went to Capri and lived at the studio in a little apartment that I made for myself right off the live room. And I would just sleep until I was ready vocally and then go and record. And that was like some of the best stuff I've ever done. It's the thing I love that knowing that the world is learning about you really now through detail. Yeah. It's just how committed you are to every aspect of your craft. Mm-hmm. You know, you were such a big star and the way you were presented, as you quite rightly pointed out from the label and other things that were stepping into your realm, was that you were sort of this princess that descended down upon this mountain with this great talent and then sung these songs and then descended back up to this castle. And it's like you were in it. You were writing and producing your own things, vocal arranging, mm-hmm. in the studio every day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from day one, I mean, on the yeah. second album, you immediately were like, I'm going to get involved in this now. The second album, this is me. Well, here's the thing. Prior to the first album, as I talk about in the book, my demo was the only thing that I had. But I didn't realize, and it happened even before that first demo, oh, when you tell them, break down the drums right here, or when you tell them, bring the strings up, and da 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 if it works... You're producing. Yeah. That's what producers do. That's right. A lot of them don't even play an instrument. Most (laughs) don't play an instrument. Some just program a beat, send out a beat. No offense to that, because I can also get a beat and write a song on top of it and produce the vocals and do whatever and suggest things to the person mixing or making the track or making the beat, whatever. But it's sort of a thing where it's like I started doing that kind of stuff during my first album, not realizing I should be getting producer credit and also allowing the label to direct me to work with big name producers who maybe didn't give me that much of an identity as they could have because it was their thing. 
And then I realized, oh, I don't actually have to do this. I can pick the people that I want to collaborate with. And I did come into this situation with a demo that ended up with like three number one songs on it that I had written prior to getting signed. So it's a different process now. People are on YouTube, they sing well, they're artists and they get discovered. And that's amazing because that process must be like so freeing. Unless you get signed to one of those deals where they own you. And then that sucks, but we didn't say that it's Christmas. Um, no, it sucks. And, and also, by the way, you said some great things about the way that, that, that the tables have turned now. You talk mm -hmm. about the relationship between the artist and the fan, you and mm -hmm. your fans, no mm -hmm. need for anyone in the middle. Right. You've earned the right to be able to communicate direct mm -hmm. and have a direct relationship without any of that interference. That is the world we're in now. Right. There is no need for me to be here. You could have this conversation with your fans right now. If I don't do a good job, I'm out of a job. No, but it's great because you have read the book and you have your own perspective and this is what you do. Right. And you know, some people might not know how to do this. Right, so right. It, I appreciate it, that. Thanks. It is, you know, <laughs> I'm very thankful to be sitting here with you. Me too. This is one of those songs, I don't know how I feel when I, I know I feel something very deep when I hear Christmas song, mm -hmm. but I don't know if it's happy or sad. That Nat King Cole version, and there were multiple versions of that song, that mm -hmm. Nat King Cole continued to embellish because he clearly loved it so much he wanted mm -hmm. to continue to have a relationship with that song. Yes. But I don't know how I feel. Sometimes I feel really happy and warm when I hear that song, and sometimes I get that Christmas sadness you talked about. It's strange, isn't it, that this time of year can really bring out a really reflective part of our human psyche. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it depends on the way we reflect. You know, if we're at the end of the year and that's what somebody's thinking about, like they've gone through a whole year and where are they at and whatever, and especially in this past year. Yeah. But I just refuse to allow myself to not enjoy the holidays because I love everything about the holidays and I know people get sad during the holidays. The Christmas Song yeah. by Nat King Cole. I understand why you would feel maybe a bit melancholy with that song. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. The arrangement is so lush. The production, his voice, it really is Christmas to me. There have been so many other renditions of that song, but for me, I love that one and I always, always will. Sometimes when there's a classic, you just don't need to mess with it. And I don't get sad when I hear it. I just get, I feel, it's like I'm getting goosebumps thinking of it now. That's how real the whole Christmas thing is to me. People are like, what is with you? You love Christmas. I'm like, yeah, I do, you know, but well, I Christmas actually do. But I actually do. Like, it's a real thing. You can't fake it. If it's not your thing, then don't make a Christmas album. Like, I, there's an artist. I'm not going to say their name. But they were, like, complaining right. that they were not, I don't know how to say this and be diplomatic, but their belief system was different than like the holidays and all that, but they're sitting there promoting yeah. their music, yeah. their Christmas music. And then they had, I'm not gonna say what song they did or didn't do, right. but complaining to me. And I was like, uh, you're good. Like, you're doing great. Why are you mad yeah. that you can't, like, only my fans will know this reference. Why you mad? It's one of the songs that I have. I was literally like, why are you mad? You are blessed to be here doing Christmas music and getting paid for it and entertaining yeah. the world. So why are you complaining? That's my thing. If you're not really into it, then don't do it because we don't need you to do it. When I think about Christmas and everything that you've done over the course of your life and what one Christmas means to another as you've grown from being a young child to being, to being who you are now, mm -hmm. surely releasing this book and putting out the meaning of clears so much space for you. Mm -hmm. This emancipation that you talked about of your past, this ability to break the cycle of brokenness, mm -hmm. like this holiday must feel different to any other holiday you've ever had before because of the book and your ability to finally 
clear the decks. Yeah, I mean, look, life feels different because of the book. I feel like my relationships, even within, particularly within the entertainment industry, have gotten to a more real place rather than just a surface thing. Because I'm that type of person where I don't try to procure relationships with famous or powerful people. Because mm. honestly, if someone's not reaching out to me or whatever, if they don't get me, then I'm just like, okay, well, if they want to be. But I think people have read this book and found a different understanding because it's really been a difficult road just with all the issues I grew up with and talk about yeah. um, in great detail in the book. It was interesting because a lot of the issues are about race and identity and just the struggle of the ambiguousness of being black and biracial, yet Mm. still to this day are like, we don't know. Is she black? Is she white? Is she Hispanic? Like, what is she? And that was always a question, what are you? And it's like, what are you? I'm a person. But that's not the way the world is. Mm. And so I know that writing this book was a very, it was very emancipating. And so this holiday does feel very special in that way. But there's also, you know, there's the sense of there are people like relationships, personal relationships that I wish could have worked out but never will. Is that the reflective side of you that still continues to reflect on those things? You know what it is? I've had to learn to release that. Hmm. I've had to. The art of letting go. The art of letting go. I love those two words. I wish I could do it more. I think it's, I actually think it's the closest thing to the meaning of life in a weird way outside of having family and love in your life is to Mm -hmm. let go. Because what happens at the end of it is that's the last thing you do. Well, you know what? It's like if people are toxic and they're in your life and they're unsafe and they've always been unsafe, you have to learn the art of letting go. You know, you really have to get to that place, or at least I did, because I try. Like, I take and take and take with everybody. And then I get to a place, and most people never see me get to this place, but I get there, and then it's like, bye. You know, because there has to be that self-preservation. So releasing all of that with this book was really healing, very healing. And my collaborator and I, Michaela Angela Davis, I knew for, I love her. She's brilliant. And we really worked hard on every single part of it in the same process. And I told her this is the best creative process that I've ever had. And she's like, I won't tell Jermaine. <laughs> no, but it's true because it was a three-year thing, you know. But even before that, I yeah. had offers to do the book, and I wanted to collaborate with her. And then people were like, no, we just want to hear specifically from you. I'm like, but I think this is going to be the best way because I love collaborating, particularly when, you know, I'm coming to the table with, these are my stories, these are my lyrics, let's, let's present it this way, let's figure it out. Let's oh, you're do, an you know. amazing collaborator. I love collaborating. Yeah, and, and I mean, the list of collaborations and the results speak for themselves. We're going to get to one very soon with John Legend, which I'm looking forward to talking yes. to you about. But uh, there's Stevie Wonder just putting the world on watch in 1967, just laying it out. Um, you can also buy the Christmas tree and carve your turkey up. But let me tell you, there's problems in the world. It's 1967. We're in the middle of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It is hot time in America, mm-hmm. and he bought it into the Christmas space. Only Stevie could do that. Only Stevie can do that. I mean, some people have tried. Absolutely nobody is Stevie and never will be. And when he performed Someday at Christmas, uh, I mean, when I came to know that song, you know, growing up, and I listen to it every year, it is so beautiful. And I think there's been other songs that explore, like, the sad side of Christmas. But I feel like when he sings it because he's so such an incredible vocalist such an amazing artist, 
I don't feel sad. I don't feel Because he can make sadness feel okay. Because his musical genius is so much bigger than just... Because his heart is so big. His heart and soul is in it. Every bit of it. He makes revolution sound like we can do it. Like joyous Christmas and hopefulness. Exactly. Do you have mementos and photos in your, where you live, things that you look at of really special moments like that to remind you that you manifested these things as a child, you were a fan of these individuals, then you were so inspired by them, you created that ultimately reflected themselves back at them mm-hmm. by the way you're inspired by them. I do keep pictures and I, I, you know, I hang them on the walls, not just look at them on mm. my phone because then you're walking around and you see it all the time. You don't have to be doing this. I have a place in my apartment in New York. I deliberately put this where you stick the pictures on yeah. and it's like a cork thing. Right. And then you can kind of rearrange and add and it's really cute and we, we set it up that way. But I have like the pictures of me and Stevie and Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey and all the people that we love and respect. And then there's different moments of, you know, throughout my life of people I performed with and, you know, just just great moments that I never want to lose sight of. And that I want my kids to see too. And they'll be like, who's that person? That's cool. Yeah. Or we'll be listening to someone. I'll be like, who's that? And they know. They know Michael Jackson. They know Prince. They've never known them in their lifetimes, but they know their voices. And it's they know a fascinating they time at this point because, I mean, they're what, nine going on 10 now? They're nine. Yeah. There's no so, going on in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, ours are 14 going on 40 and 12 going on 30. So there's a lot of going on in my life right yeah. now. Um, but it's, uh, it's interesting when they get to that age because they start to really identify their surroundings in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, that inherent safety and security you get when you're fortunately worn into a good family environment, mm. um, if you're lucky enough to have that experience as a child, starts to sort of give, give way to um, the reality that there are things going on outside the family too. Yeah. And okay, mom has a job and mom mm. does this, mom does that. Now you included um, your children in the special, which is really cool. So as a mom, are you open to that? Is your idea, I'd rather they be exposed to it through my lens rather than protect them from what it is that I do for fear of overexposure? Well, you know, that's a thing. Um, and a lot of people are very protective of the kids not being involved. My kids really want to perform. They want to be a part of it. On some level, they're like, feel very entitled when they enter a space. I'm like, well, we can do whatever we want. As opposed to the professional kids who have started in this business when they're two, they're used to the hierarchy. Tread the boards. The director tells them what to do, they listen. And my kids are like, why? Like, (laughs) And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to, if you want to do this, you have to learn. But I bring them in the studio. We actually, and this is a revelation that no one knows, and I'd love to figure out how to do something with it. Maybe it's an Apple exclusive, I don't know. Let's go. But it's a song that I wrote over this track and sort of reinterpreted another song. I'm not going to say what it is, but the kids sang it when they were six. And we produced it, and it's and it's really cute. That's super cute. And I don't need them to redo it. I think they should. we should put it out, and it's fun because they sound like babies, yeah. and they love it. Yeah. So, That's beautiful yeah. that they're getting into the creative arts and that you're recognizing that because you know, they say the apple never falls far from the tree, but there's no guarantees. And that's just going to make that relationship form even stronger as they get older because they're in this beautiful space to be inspired and learn mm-hmm. from what you've learned yeah. as well. Well, I just want them to do it if they want to do it. Yeah. And whatever it is that they want to do, like my daughter loves to draw and my son, I mean, he loves to play Fortnite, of course, and he loves to do, you know, all the things that... I mean, I wouldn't have allowed him to play Fortnite yet, but he's so good and he's so technical that he wants to, but he also loves to dance and he Mm. loves to sing and he loves music and they both do and they both are free to express themselves. So I'm not like, you got to get your vocal lessons and go to the, I mean, 
now with COVID, they can't really go do anything. They do stuff virtually. But, you know, it's going to be up to them what they really want to do. And I'm not going to pressure or push them. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. This next one's going to be tough. But this is Last Christmas by Wham. Okay. It's a band that changed my life as a kid growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, two individuals who changed the world, mm -hmm. created a pop revolution. Mm -hmm. um, one of them obviously went on to become one of the most iconic vocalists and performers of our time mm -hmm. and sadly is no longer with us. Mm -hmm. uh, you were friends with George. Yeah. yeah. I loved George growing up. I loved Wham. And I loved the album Faith. Hmm. To me, that was a perfect album. I live with it. I, you know, from high school to like living as a kid in the city, struggling mm. and looking at it and watching his videos and what he did, um, how he presented himself and how he was multi-format. Mm. Um, and I really believe he loved R&B music and that he was a brilliant producer and songwriter. And he really created so many classics, Father Figure, mm. I want your sex. All all those great mm. songs. One more try, which I actually did a remake of. I know. Yeah. Amazing. And hearing the two of you on the song as well, on the on a version I've heard. Yeah. It's just it's incredible hearing the chemistry between your vocals, even in that environment, the way they they, they were mixed together. Before he passed away, we had a dinner. We had a lot of things in common. We had a lot of discussions. But anyway, cut to I remade One More Try and he was still living and he wrote me something about like how much he loved it. And I, w I had hoped that he and I would be able to actually perform it together um, live somewhere, but it didn't yeah. happen. So God bless him. And, and the Christmas will forever be changed now because of the timing as well. And I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's a really hard one. I remember when I found out that George had passed away at Christmas and just the way the world reacted and it was um, it was in just an utter disbelief and I think his, to have lived in a time where his music means so much, but yeah, unbelievable. And then he passed away on Christmas and that affected me in a really intense way. Um, but you know, we have his music and I think, you know, the fact that Last Christmas is such a timeless, timeless classic. What could we do to make it easier for artists to be able to move through this space without leaning on these coping mechanisms and these things which ultimately can destroy lives. And you have gotten through some significant challenges. Perhaps the challenges as a young person, as a child, perhaps mm -hmm. gave you the strength to some degree to know you can push through. Others haven't been so lucky. What can we do? Well, I think this industry, maybe not so much now because of social media and because people can speak up for themselves via social media, but before, and I write about this in the book, when people were coming after you or stalking you or hunting you um, in the press, in the media, you're kind of like screwed because uh, a huge a scandal went on for months. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh, this happened. Okay, what's tomorrow's thing? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's easier, but I do think the coping mechanism situation comes from the fact that this is not normal. Mm -hmm being under the scrutiny of like constant focus and attention and making it all about you, it is a thing where then when you come down from it, you really, really, really do need a support system. Because yeah. nobody else, unless they become you, even if they think they're your best friend and they totally get you yeah. and they understand your music and they understand the things about you that people don't understand, they will never know what it's like to be in your skin. And that's why people are gone too soon because it just gets excruciating. You and Whitney are the voices. You are the voices of, of our generation and generations that followed. You came and you, you redefined what was possible for the performer and the vocalist, the artist, the writer, the producer, the whole entire human on the world stage. And it was fascinating to watch the two of you rise at the same time. And I've always wanted to ask you this, 
What did you have in common? What were the things that you had in common with Whitney that drew you closer to her while the world wanted to separate you and create competition, but what drew you together? Well, here's the first part of that. She started before I started. She inspired everybody, myself included, obviously. And I like a lot of the deeper cuts that not everybody knows, like the songs she did with Kashif and like the, the stuff that people would be like, what? I don't know that, you know, yeah. but like thinking about you and those songs. That's when I first heard her before she was even that big. So obviously she was inspiring to me and to us all. What brought us together, I think, well, first of all, the corporate entities that wanted that duet to happen got involved, made it happen. I would have preferred to have written the song. Yeah, bet. Uh, when You Believe. Yeah, but... At that point, it was, and no offense to anybody, but that male-dominated structure. And I didn't even have anybody on my team that was like, no, Mariah's got this. It was just, I, it was me against a whole team of super powerful men. Yeah. And then we did our thing. And thankfully, the song won an Academy Award, and it was this whole thing. And I talk about it in the book. But she and I, I think the best thing about it, when we got through all of the other stuff, was the fun the sense of humor, and when we weren't in front of the camera, that was the best. Yeah. I mean, we have some great times with the try it on me with the VMAs and ripping off the brown dresses, the Vera Wang dresses, and, you know, those little moments. But it was like the, the moments, like, behind the scenes and in the trailer and when we were not around other people where, you know, we would say stuff. And for me, it was all good. But, I mean, I know that it's the camps, the different people that are around, people that create this yeah. kind of thing. And I know she was fun. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. She was real. And people, I think the average person, they had their perceptions, but she was, she was the truth. You know, I realize after all this time that we've been listening to this song, All I Want for Christmas, thinking it's this beautiful, incredible, perfect Christmas construct about romance and the desire of bringing unrequited or long-distance love back together. And I realize now that really what it was, was it was a desire for security and safety. And mm -hmm. it was, like we said at the beginning of the conversation, it was to create a mood and an environment mm. where presence mean nothing if I'm not safe in an environment of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. I think we missed it the whole way through. Yeah, I've reinterpreted the song a lot of times and started writing it on a little junky little keyboard, whatever. And I'm not a good player, but like I know what I hear. Yeah. And then I usually have somebody great translate that for me into the chords, but I'm hearing the chords as I hear the melody. So I started that one and I'll, I'll just always have the recollection of like writing it. And it's my first Christmas song that I ever wrote. And then I was just like, what do I really, really want to hear at Christmas? What do I want to talk about? But how do I make it all encompassing in terms of the love aspect of it? And I think that, you know what, I'm not saying it's the world's greatest thing, but it makes me happy. And it's made a lot of other people happy. And when I see people like dancing in the streets to the song and having these big, huge festivals and they're playing it, it's what holidays mean to me. It's the memories. It's being around the people. It's the song that takes you through the memories that you can create your own new memories from. Do you feel like the songs flow through you? A song like that flows through you from somewhere else as through a conduit and in a weird way, now you watch it go and find its audience and find a life of its own, which is now over 25 years old and more popular than ever. You can be proud of it, almost like it's a child, right? I mean, every song that I do, I feel is a gift. If I'm writing, it comes from another place. Yeah. That is the gift, the greatest gift to me is being able to be a songwriter and hear music 
and then articulate it, write it down, sing it, hear the chords, you know, and I love collaborating, as we said. But I am at the place where I'm like, wow, this is something I did. I never thought, oh, wow, this is going to be a huge, huge thing. I was just like, this is my fun Christmas song. And then I did reinterpreted classics and and wrote um, ballads as if I would write a regular ballad. You know what I mean? You asked me about my second Christmas album. I did a song, Christmas Time is in the Air Again, with my dear friend and collaborator, Mark Shaman, inspired by the 1950s vibes and mm. stuff like that. And even Miss You Most at Christmas Time from my first album, which I didn't do on the special, which a lot of people ask me about. I put as much time and effort into that as I would for a regular, like Love Takes Time or whatever song that, well, more than Love Takes Time because I wrote that one an hour, but you know what I'm saying? A song, <laughs> My All or something like that. <laughs> no, but it's true. No, but I've heard these stories about you. I've heard these stories about you, not just in the press, but from people who know you, who mm -hmm. quietly tell me mm -hmm. that when you're on your game, mm -hmm. when it's coming through you, mm -hmm. it's done. Mm -hmm. Like, bam. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, I hear that it's, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a remarkable gift you have. And um, what's a really distinctive memory you have about All I Want for Christmas? A fun time you heard it, or you noticed someone singing it, or it was played in an event, or something happened where you thought, like, wow, I can't believe that it's still having this effect on people. It's still this moment. I don't think of it like that because for me, Christmas music is timeless right. and should be timeless. Right. And if, if it strikes a chord with people, yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. And so I have so many memories attached to the song, but you know, people come to me and tell me about their memories, and that's what means the most. So my last question, Mariah, in this conversation, um, and I urge everybody to go in and enjoy this, this magical Christmas special, yes. because it really is incredible fun and at times emotional and brilliant. You've made Christmas such an important part of your life, mm -hmm. not just a part of your business of being Mariah and the albums and the special now, mm -hmm. but of your life. Mm -hmm. What to you is the true meaning of this holiday? What is the meaning of it? For me, it's the birth of Christ. It's the actual meaning of the holiday, but it's the meaning of love. And it's the meaning of, I like to feel at peace. I don't often feel at peace. At Christmas, sometimes I'll just be by myself steal a moment and just be in the room, look at the tree, listen to the music, and there I am. All right, maybe we'll make a, an annual tradition of that. I would very much enjoy that. In 12 months time, another opportunity to sit down with Mariah Carey and, and find out how she feels at the end of 2021. In any case, we stand still in this moment. That conversation with Mariah Carey now forever sits on the interview series. Please subscribe, add a comment, add a rating. Appreciate you checking us out.